Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is the 5 o'clock uh, uh, hour, and uh, we're in the number one show at 5 o'clock, Cats at Night, and uh, uh, in the studio. Uh, finally, we got a, a Republican. We haven't had a Republican in that seat in three, four days already. We were going for uh, withdrawal. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Uh, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, a common sense Democrat, common sense Republican, uh, I hate to say former, Congressman Peter King. And Lydia, I heard you have some breaking news. Breaking news, WABC. Remember that FBI raid on Mayor Giuliani's residence back in April 2021? Well, federal prosecutors just announced no criminal charges will be filed against him. What is your reaction? I'll go to you, Congressman King, first. You don't think it was political, Congressman uh, King? No. Well, I do know it was a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. You have a man, you, you try to ruin his reputation. God knows how much money it costs him, what it does to you psychologically, what it does to your family, what it does to Did your friends. Did he get his license back? That no, it's a separate issue. But again, this is such an abusive prosecution by the U.S. Attorney's Office that and to raid someone's house and it turns out there's nothing there. It's an absolute disgrace. And uh, listen, Rudy's a friend. He's a great guy. And but it's terrible. He had to endure this for almost two years of this. Federal prosecutors were investigating whether Giuliani's dealings with figures in Ukraine in the run-up to the 2020 election required him to register as a foreign agent. Why did so, they spend more time on Hunter Biden? I was going to say, where's that investigation of Hunter Biden doing that? Bill now, O'Reilly, I understand, is on the line. Bill O'Reilly, prolific author, journalist, historian, his latest book, Killing the Legends, what, 20 million books sold? Welcome back to Cats at Night. Also, he has a show here, Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly, WABC Radio, every night at 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. Tune in. It's the number one show, right, John? Number one show at night. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I think the Giuliani situation is just another example of the widespread corruption that Joe Biden has brought to uh, the country, the federal government. I mean, so shouldn't I, the Department of Justice uh, be ashamed of themselves? These guys well, have I, sworn to uphold the law. Ashamed of themselves? I mean, that would require... A sense of shame. Scruples. Yeah, these people are order takers. But I'm going to tie it into what happened over the weekend with the uh, Border Patrol head who was forced to quit. Um, The Biden administration now is at a point where they're uh, totally lost control of the southern border. And not only in the migrant situation uh, where millions of people have come across since Biden was inaugurated, but also in the uh, Border Patrol morale, where the agents are basically saying, look, you're not enforcing the law, so why are we going to put our lives on the line? That's right. Why? When it's it's almost akin to the NYPD. Uh, So why are we going to put ourselves out there when we might get our heads blown off at any second when the Biden policy has let everybody in, which he has? And so Biden now getting really nervous that this thing's going to blow up, this story. So he replaces the head of the uh, Border Patrol with a, another flunky who's not going to do anything. But he keeps Mayorkas, the director of Homeland Security, who's overall in charge of it, because Mayorkas, again, is a crony. This is cronyism. And it's very much like the, uh, the administration of U.S. Grant. When Grant, in his second term, pretty much lost control of everything because he had cancer um, and then his cronies ran ran wild, that's what's happened in the Biden administration. And very few people know this. They they don't understand the underpinnings of it. 
but the corruption from uh, the federal government, I'm, I'm trying to think back if I, in my lifetime, have seen this kind of corruption, and I don't think so. You know, uh, it didn't happen in the Clinton administration, didn't happen in the Bush administration, although the Bush administration did mislead on foreign affairs. Obama, Obama used the IRS well, it, bill. It wasn't Obama really the Bush administration. It was his uh, Rumsfeld and Cheney, wasn't it? Uh, I disagree. Yeah, I think, but I mean, no. that was a tactical error, but it was like Vietnam where they weren't up front with the American people. But, but, I'm, but it, go back to IRS. Didn't they abuse the IRS? Yes, they did, but it, that's not at the level of an open border collapsing Agreed. Agreed. immigration policy. I mean, uh, Obama was a more petty garbage, and then they, they got caught, and then they wouldn't prosecute the Cincinnati IRS agent who was looking at the, you know, to screw the conservative groups. It was bad, but not at this level. So, you know, when you have corruption in any government, whether it be local, state, or federal, people are going to get hurt. And that's what we're seeing now. You had a column over the weekend, Bill, about uh, President Trump and his future prospects and uh, how he's been conducting himself. What do you have to tell us about that? Well, tomorrow Trump will probably make that announcement that he's going to run. He will then take the position of an underdog. Isn't that ironic? Mm. Um, How could anybody have predicted that four weeks ago in uh, the beginning of October? Uh, DeSantis' uh, performance uh, has put him in the forefront of the presidential candidates for 24. Trump is now behind DeSantis. Um, but Trump is, a, you know, he's an, a real gut fighter, as everybody knows. And he was the underdog and, um, and he just triumphed. If, if you would say the top three or four candidates in the Republican Party for 2024, who would you say? Well, there's only two. Well, I understand. A a little bird tells me that uh, Youngkin, who's term limited to one term in Virginia, and and he's got the money, he wants to do it. Yeah, but he doesn't have the money. So you got to raise what three hundred million in a primary. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Glenn Youngkin can raise three hundred million. Okay. Um, So why would Youngkin, who I I like, by the way? He go after, you know, two of the bigger names than he, um, you know, DeSantis, he is a formidable guy now. He brought yeah. Disney down. If you look at the latest quarter for Disney, I mean, they're laying off people now. They came in a billion dollars under the Wall Street estimate, a billion with a B. That's a big number. Uh, and that's DeSantis. And he, you know, so his power quietly, because he's not like Trump. He's not as flamboyant, you know, but he had the best line that I've heard politically in decades. Um, Florida is where woke goes to die. It's a great line. That was an amazing line. Whoever wrote that for him is gold. Mm. Um, so anyway, you're basically setting up a DeSantis-Trump um, situation. I was always thought it would be a better uh, alliance than than going after each other. But here's the change agent. The independents broke for the Democrats by four percentage points, which made all the difference in the national midterm elections. And they did so because of the uh, deniers on January 6th. That, that was a huge issue. 
according to all the exit polling among the independent voters. It overrode abortion, over, came close to overriding the economy. And Trump has got that stamped in his forehead. He's also had. I don't know how he gets out of that. He also has three losses in a row. He has 2018 as a loss, 2020 and 2022. I wouldn't put this one on him, no. Um, I don't think that's fair to do. I think, uh, uh, no, I think, think it's more due to him than anybody else, though. Some of his candidates lost, but I wouldn't say that it was Trump's fault they lost. Well, it's his fault for putting them in there. They shouldn't have been there in the first place. Well, let me, let me understand this. Why did we lose Arizona, uh, Bill O'Reilly? I mean, that, that's a border state. All the criminals are coming across. The terrorists are coming across. The dope addicts, are, the dope, uh, dope uh, criminals coming across. Why would they vote Democratic? I just don't understand it. Because it's a small state and the demographics change quickly. So you've got a huge influx from California of liberal people who can't afford to live in California. They're in Arizona. And then you have all these new citizens, all these new immigrants who need help. And if you need help, you're going to vote Democrat for the entitlements. And the Democratic machine in Arizona, I mean, you look at how they can't even count their votes there. This is a pretty primitive state, but along with Nevada, it is now a blue state, which is fairly shocking in the land of John McCain and Barry Goldwater. Of course, Trump didn't help by attacking McCain the way he did. And then uh, you think this is still runoff from McCain? Part of that. And also the fact he went after Governor Ducey, who was a popular governor, and they wanted him to run for the Senate. And then Trump went after him because he didn't. I, th- the I think abortion is a huge issue, too. You had 70 percent of unmarried women who voted for Yeah, but for I would Democrats. disagree. In New York, abortion, they threw every abortion, every candidate had abortion thrown out, and we won in Nassau County. But, we went around the state. I, I think we're overestimating. I think abortion only counts if you're weak otherwise. But did you hear what Carrie Lake said about abortion? She She's really going hard on it. It's talking well, about be. criminalizing women that have abortions, and that scared a lot of people but, off. But I don't think we should get that much credence to that issue though, overall. Like, again, I saw in... Uh, Bill, uh, Nassau County, we have 100,000 more Democrats, and yet we took both seats, and the only issue raised against them was abortion. abortion. And once once Republicans focused on crime and inflation, that that was it. The other issue is the so-called, this was an attack, the Republicans had an attack on democracy, which I thought was the most obscene, ridiculous argument I've ever heard. Why was it an attack on democracy? Because you didn't buy into uh, the left-wing agenda? Well, look, that's a bunch of hooey, and, you know, the big turnout across the country for the midterms proves that. But we live in a tribal country now. It's tribes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Arizona, for whatever reason, is now in the progressive camp. It's discouraging. I never thought that uh, in Nevada, I, th- I thought Laxalt would win. I mean, I'm just stunned because the people in, Ari- in Nevada, it's a service-based state. Okay, which means it doesn't have much industry there. Everything is is centered around Vegas and uh, a lesser extent up, uh, you know, in the Reno area. It's all it's all about casino gambling there. And these people, they're hourly wage earners and they make money, but their money is eroded. Their real wages are going down. And you would think that they wouldn't want that. But millions of people voted the progressive tickets. And, you know, Biden is the luckiest guy on earth. I mean, I have never seen a guy luckier than Joe Biden. He should have got whacked across the board. And he's strutting around like a peacock now. Yep. Uh, I still think the House will go Republican, um, but it's a fierce fight because they won't count the votes. 
and it's not that they can't, they won't count in the districts in California, two districts in Arizona, which should go Republican for the House. They're not even close to being finished counting those votes. There's no excuse for that. There should be federal monitors in there right now. But Biden never going to put them in there, but they should be. You can't. You won't count the votes. Why won't you count the votes? Well, you I mean, think of Florida, which has two time zones and so many more people. How do all the votes counted by by that night, by election night? Well, look, at you have Florida, Texas, and New York. Right. No trouble getting their returns out. Right. Mammoth states, huge states. And Arizona, Nevada, still now, six days out, and they still can't count their district votes for Congress? There's something wrong. Something very There's something serious. very wrong. There's something very, very wrong. And the governor of California, I bet you, is backing them up. Um, Bill O'Reilly, we're out of time, but I'm going to listen to you at 9 o'clock tonight. What are you going to talk about? Well, I'm a little outraged about this fentanyl arrest, 20,000 pills. And uh, Bragg, of course, charges him with possession, not possession with intent to sell, which would get the guy 10 years, but possession. Um, they catch him in Washington Heights, 20,000 fentanyl pills on this guy. And he's they're, trying to destroy, and he's they're trying to destroy our city and our country. They let him right, go. Right. And they let him out and he'll never show up never. for his hearing. Never in a million years will he show up for his hearing. Well, the, the truth is, where's the U.S. attorney? Can't the U.S. attorney go after, uh, you know, no, as a whoever? Of the, the NYPD uh, called him, so it's local. Their jurisdiction of feds wasn't a joint operation with DEA. It was well, good work on the part of the New York City Police Department. But then it gets into uh, Bragg's office. Possession? Are you kidding me? This guy's going to take 20,000 fentanyl pills by himself? I mean, it's just so co- talk about corrupt. I mean, this is just off the chart corrupt. That's but why they should do joint. They should do joint investigations and prosecutions. Also, the well, uh, they do them, but they don't do them all the time. Right. But this exactly. is what I mean about African Americans in New York City voting for Hochul. Okay, here's another example. Those twenty thousand uh, fentanyl pills are going to wind up in your neighborhood. I mean, it's crazy. Just oh, so the U.S. attorney was too busy going after Giuliani. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. I know. To see if he talked about somebody with Ukraine. Oh, it's so crazy, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's a, a, you know, it's a bizarro world. I think we're going to start calling it a bizarro world. Bill O'Reilly, thank you. I will listen to you tonight at 9 o'clock on WABCradio.com and BillOReilly.com and 770 on your dial Holy Coast on 770 because it's after dark. Thank you so much, Bill O'Reilly, and we'll talk All to you right, soon. All right, thanks for having me in, guys. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, Michael Goodwin. He's a New York Post columnist, a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. Welcome back to Cats at Night. I know you have a lot to say about this election, don't you, Michael Goodwin? <laughs> Thanks, Lydia. Uh, I, everybody seems to, right? I mean, you have, you have the country split almost exactly in half. as though Somebody just took a knife and drew it right down the middle, and you got a 50-50 country, it looks like. One... Uh, a uh, narrow win for in the Senate for Democrats and probably a narrow win for Republicans in the House. So you have a split of governor's races uh, across the country. So it's a very divided country, literally and figuratively. Where do you think the red wave went wrong? <clears throat> I don't know. I'm not sure it ever existed. Um, I, I think that some of the polls may have been 
uh, too generous in some cases. I think there were polls are always based in part on past performance, on expectation as a who will turn out in what numbers. Um, I think, for example, Lee Zeldin in New York, the polls were basically right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they said he would you know lose by single digits, and he lost by what five and a half, five point seven, something like that. Adams uh, would win four, three or four of the House seats, which they did. So, uh, or new House seats. So, uh, I think in general, the polls when they're when they're showing this kind of closeness as they did in the city and state and also nationally, uh, you know, you get some late breaking movements that the polls can't really pick up over a weekend or whatever. <laughs> so, I, I don't fault the polls. I think that they were swinging back and forth throughout the summer and into the fall. So I, I'm not shocked that it ended up this way. Yeah, Mike, so, so, in other words, uh, Peter, I'll go to defer to you after. Uh, are we saying that there was no red wave and, uh, and we just made it up? No, I th- no, I think the polls at one point showed that. Uh, but it also showed that a lot of races were very close. And that's where I think, you you know, the, the predictive value uh begins to wear away that, you know, a late break uh, of a point, even a couple of points over the last three or four days is going to be very hard to pick up. And with the country so evenly divided, it really does matter in the end who comes out. And uh, obviously, Democrats did did well in the key states to hold on to the Senate. But, you know, as I say, you had the surprises, you, you know, in the sense that uh, Republicans picked up House seats where in New York and some other blue states that uh, nobody was really thought could happen for a while. So I, I look, I'm, I'm disappointed. I wish it had been more of a red wave. I thought it would be uh, earlier uh, in the week, but it didn't work out that way. And so uh, I think it's sort of within the margin of error. We have to be say that the polls were more or less you know, about where it ended up. Yeah, Michael, this is uh, Pete King. Always great talking with you. Uh, you know, the unknown factor in all these polls is trying to estimate what the enthusiasm level is. And I think the reason why pollsters sided with the Republicans this time is they thought there was so much anti-Biden sentiment. The country was in such bad shape, like 55 percent of the people say the country is going in the wrong direction. And usually that means the energy level would be with the party out of power. It just didn't happen. And again, I'm putting my own bias in here. I, I, I lay a lot of the blame at the feet of Donald Trump for that. Well, yes, we, we agree. I think uh, candidates in particular. But, uh, uh, Michael Goodwin, can you repeat that? We're just having a little bit of a technical difficulty hearing you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that it's important when we're when we're pinning the tail on Trump to also focus very specifically on what it is he did wrong. And I believe it is this claim that the 2020 election was stolen, that he makes that a litmus test for the people he endorses. That is a heavy burden, especially in swing states like Arizona, uh, like Nevada, uh, like Georgia. And so I think in Pennsylvania, of course, too. And so you get these candidates for whom that is the most important thing about them. They agree with him on that. So you get a Mastriano in Pennsylvania winning the governor's primary uh, and being a terrible candidate and pulling down uh, Mehmet Oz, 
who was not a great candidate, but should have won. But when you have the top of the ticket getting 42 percent, and I would just say quickly, too, uh, Trump doesn't help those people once he endorses them. He doesn't help them with money. He has tons of money. He doesn't use it. It's it's really all about him and his fixation on 2020. And it's a burden on a lot of these candidates. And, Michael, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. What happened was Trump did worse than that. <laughs> because he engaged in a civil war against McConnell instead of having a joint venture to elect Republicans to the United States Senate. He fought him every step of the way. Yes, and, and I have to say, too, that uh, his reaction to, to uh, Ron DeSantis's win, mm. I, I found especially repulsive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would have been happy if DeSantis lost. Mm -hmm. That would have eliminated DeSantis as a competitor. And so I think Trump, he does, you know, he only plays for himself. He's not a team player. And that's a very tough burden on the party. And and, uh, Richard, you're right about uh, McConnell. I mean, the slurring of McConnell's wife, uh, the, the Youngkin reference to sounds Chinese. I mean, these are really beyond the pale. And Trump just hasn't learned. I think his, his endorsement in too many cases turns out to be a burden rather than a help. I said to, uh, to Bill O'Reilly that Trump lost 2018, 2020 and 2022. And uh, O'Reilly uh, disagreed with respect to 2022. What do you say? Well, look, I think he lost some key Senate races. I, I don't I don't know how far you can extend it, but I would certainly say uh, Oz, uh, Republicans should have held the Pennsylvania Senate seat. They lost that. That is a big, big issue. And they could have won New Hampshire, too. Maggie Hassan was very vulnerable. A lot of people think that. Uh, in the end, Bulldog got blown out by what, nine points or something. Uh, big number. You, you had... And you had Arizona, you had uh, Nevada. All of these were particular uh, possible pickups. Georgia, certainly a possible pickup. Uh, So far, none of them, right? Not a single one. And now just fighting to keep it 50-50 with a Herschel Walker runoff. What went wrong in Arizona, uh, Michael? uh, I think Arizona is, you know, you, you look, John, you look at sort of the history of these states, Arizona has always been something of a peculiar red state. Uh, it, you know, the John McCain, the maverick, the kind of frontier spirit of a lot of what goes on in Arizona. I think that uh, uh, Carrie Lake and Blake Masters uh, were just not. I mean, they were good candidates. Again, the Trump requirement that they agree that the 2020 election was stolen, I think, just puts a burden. People look, the people of Arizona don't want to think most people in Arizona don't want to think that their state is corrupt in the way it counted the votes in 2020. But Bill, all that their, Georgia. Uh, uh, Michael, all, all that their governor, Governor Ducey, was corrupt because that's what Trump was saying, that uh, Ducey was in on, on the fix with the election. And he was very popular. Yeah. Among so, the so, the, so the McCain, the old McCain people went against them. And also the Governor Ducey people. But is there 200,000? I heard there was 200,000 votes are still counting. Uh, in Arizona? Yes. Uh, I don't know. Well, the Carrie Lake, Carrie Lake, I think, has not been called. Is that correct? The governor? Yeah, they're still waiting on that. Yeah. 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 So so there are some definitely some outstanding votes. But Blake Masters apparently is not close enough. So that it doesn't matter. In did, the they, did, did he did Blake Masters concede? Yes. He did. Okay. What I, about what about Nevada? Is there going to be a recount with respect to Lexall? 
There probably will be, but that that's an unlikely. I mean, when you have a kind of projection that that goes so solidly, also don't forget they, the the. Um, uh, across the spectrum now, this looks like it's final. I mean, I I, I stand to be corrected if suddenly they find uh, 50,000 votes somewhere. We've we got about like 30 that. seconds left. And, and I understand uh, from Bill O'Reilly that was just <laughs> on that uh, uh, in California, they're very slow on, on uh, adding up the votes. It's unbelievable, John. I, I, I look today, the post ran a graphic. A lot of the seats in California, the uh, outstanding they've only counted 50% of the yeah. uh, votes as of yesterday. It's crazy. It's crazy. I don't, crazy. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be fixed. I mean, this is a this is raises suspicions and it's an invitation to cheat. Uh, 100%. Michael Goodwin, thank you so much for telling the American people the truth and God bless you and and thank you uh, for New York Post. Thank you. Thank you, John. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. In studio, we have Judge Richard Weinberg. We have Congressman Peter King, John Katz Matidis, and myself, Lydia Saranine. On the line with us right now, we have the former secretary to Governor Cuomo. She's also a Democratic strategist, and she's a prolific writer. You've been writing for the Daily Beast, and she's an all-around a Smart, smart lady, right, John? That's what you call her, right? Absolutely. She Absolutely. knows it all. If there's anything to know about know New York what politics, the heck, what the heck her. is going on in New York City, New York State? Why do they want to fire Jay Jacobs? Give us your evaluation. Melissa what Rosa. Well, do to talk to all of you guys. So right now, what you're seeing is the scapegoating that follows a sort of disaster, right? You have Democrats nationally celebrating that they were able to stave off this red wave that everyone was anticipating. You know, we thought we'd lose the Senate up to 50 seats. We thought the House would be gone at least 20, 25 seats. And now we're in a situation where Chuck Schumer held his majority. And it looks like, you know, the House will likely go Republican, but it's going to be very, very tight. And everyone looks around the country and where is the dark spot for the Democratic Party? And it's in New York of all places, which is arguably the bluest state in the country. So now what happens? All the finger, all the finger pointing happens, right? Is it Sean Patrick Maloney's fault? Is it Jay Jacobs' fault? Is it Kathy Hochul's fault? Is it the Court of Appeals' fault? And I think what you're seeing is there's a sort of culmination happening with the far left wing of the party that is really going after the party chairman, Jay Jacobs. And so that's, you know, where we are. Um, I mean, from where I sit. So I who's going oh, after him? Is there a particular sector? Well, yeah, I mean, what you're seeing is AOC and you're seeing, you know, Biagi, you're seeing Yuli New, you know, both of them just lost their seats. Um, and they're sort of holding on to this piece, I think, is a bid for relevance. Um, but it's the far left wing of the party has, you know, come up in arms against Jay Jacobs. Hochul was asked about it at Somos. She immediately out of the gate said, I thought Jay Jacobs did a phenomenal job and he's not going anywhere. So she's sort of put herself in a box, too, because now she gives in. She's weak right out of the gate. Right. You're you just got elected governor by the slimmest margin since 1994. And if you give in to this, you know, all these people holding pitchforks saying they want Jay's head on pitchfork right after you just said he wasn't going anywhere, then she's a weak governor right out of the box. Um, but they don't seem to be letting up right away. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, but this, is, uh, this is Pete King. Good to talk with you. Let me just say as an outsider, as a Republican, I think Jay Jacobs is the ultimate professional. And I'm really delighted that Democrats didn't listen to him over the last six months or a year because he was really sounding the alarm going back a year ago. Absolutely. And this is like crime. He's the one who understood the well, crime issue for the Democrats. 
Well, and I was going to say, Congressman, and it's great to hear your voice. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, Laura and, and Todd can were the canary in the coal mine, right? Like, what happened in 2022 shouldn't be a shock to anyone because it happened in 2021. We saw Nassau County right. go red in 2021, primarily on the crime issue. It's a little bit more than just I think it was also sort of a reaction to not being happy with how things are going with one party rule in Albany and in the city. And so I think that we started to see the tide turn here. And I think Jay was out there sounding the alarm bells. And, you know, I talk to Jay all the time. I talk to a lot of people who are people in the hopeful campaign. And it sort of sounds to me like he was telling them much earlier, you know, we've got to be out addressing the crime issue. But their out of state consultants were just wholly focused on Trump and abortion. And I think they frankly blew it. So I think everyone's looking to point fingers and blame. Um, and I think that, you know, also, Pete, as you know, Congressman, excuse me, when the governor of your own party is in state, that person is the head of the state party. So, I mean, Jay Jacobs is, you know, in a lot of ways, he's a figurehead. In a lot of ways, there are functionary roles that he plays, but really it belongs to the governor. And so if there was some, you know, total miscalculation at the top of the ticket or people weren't dealing with crime governmentally, politically, I think that, you know, people should take an honest assessment of where that blame lies. You're right. No, no state chairman is going to tell the governor what to do. Yeah, but look, in, in tra- Melissa Richard Weinberg, in fairness, it's the legislative leaders. It's Hasty and Stuart Cousins who refuse to budge on meaningful bail reform. That's the that's the problem. And they wrapped it around them, and justifiably so, because the crime is still escalating. It's still a dangerous place out there. The perception is awful. And Hasty and Stuart Cousins refuse to deal with it. And they've wrapped it around the Democratic Party. But see, you know what I don't understand? And maybe, and maybe Melissa, you, 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 you would tell me. Uh, I mean, we all want to tell the truth to the public. And and the governor, who I love, and you know, she she stands up there and gets uh, uh, the Hillary Clinton, and she gets uh, uh, Obama, and she gets all of them, and they all say there is no crime problem. Do they live in a well, different I, planet? Or do I you know, live and, in a different planet? And John, I, I can't agree with you more. I mean, the the larger, you know, the even more absurd thing that I'm seeing is people blaming Eric Adams and saying, oh, it's Eric Adams' fault because he's talking about crime. It's like, and, just because you don't talk yeah. about crime doesn't mean crime isn't an issue. Did, did so you read you, the op-ed piece yeah. that Eric Adams came up with? I did, I did. I yeah, saw give that us your evaluation of that. I mean, look, I think that we have to figure this out fast. I think that in New York, you know, this was an instance where all politics was local. I think that the local issues on the ground overcame the national. I think that people didn't really feel threatened by abortion in a state as blue as New York, where it's been the law since Governor Cuomo made it the law in 2019. People know these facts. So I think that when they tried to create more of a boogeyman in some of the national issues here on the ground, it didn't work. And I think that Democrats and I said I've been saying this on your show for a few weeks and I've written about it. it. It's you know, I think there's a real disconnect between Democrats on the left right now and people on the ground with how they're feeling. And I'm not saying that you should overly hype the issue, but to ignore the issue. I mean, people are getting pushed on subway tracks. People are getting punched on the face standing on street corners. A woman without for a job. That's why I said that. Are we are we morning. are we living in a different planet? I mean, well, and that's 
And that's the thing. And I think that people get angry. And I think that you saw that, John. I mean, Congressman, you were around in 94. Like, when was the last time you had where Republicans statewide and this is not George Pataki, you know, he's not more of what I put in the moderate camp like you. You know, he was very far to the right. He was a big Trump supporter, election denier, anti-choice. And he came within five points of being governor of the state of New York. Also, you know, I mean, if that's not a wake up call, I don't know what is. You know, talk about Nassau County. I mean, just take the district I live in now. Anthony D'Esposito. There were 75,000 more registered Democrats. They had a a top tier candidate in uh, Laura Gillen running on the Democratic line. Every ad was about abortion. And D'Esposito won by focusing on crime and inflation. He won by 11,000 votes in a district where there's 75,000 more Democrats. And that's been Democrat since 1996. And that's all I've been saying is all I want. I, I, I. you know, I'm the middle of the road person. All I want is law and order, and all I want is that uh, congestion pricing, which is probably going to happen now, is, is is a bunch of crap. Look, I think public safety is job one for government, and I think that that is a big reason why the people elected Eric Adams, a cop, to be mayor right. at a time when people felt physically insecure and, you know, economically insecure. They felt like he was a law and order guy who was going to grab the reins and who was going to do something about it. And the fact that people didn't see in the New York City election of Eric Adams and the rejection of Todd Kaminsky and Laura Kern, who, by the way, was really just swept out with the Todd Kaminsky current. I mean, Laura did everything right as as county executive. He's a very decent person. Yeah. But I think that, you know, there is this problem and it's it's not just a political issue where it's like, you guys, we have to get this together. You're going to keep seeing us lose and the state go purple. But it's governmentally your responsibility. And so I think, you know, acknowledging a crisis is the first step to solving one. And I think that everyone needs to. That's why I was in. You know, that's why I was shocked when all the high level Democrats, uh, presidents, uh, and uh, secretary of states, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, came up and said there is no crime, or it's a it's a GOP conspiracy. Conspiracy. You know, look, I think that when you're going out as a surrogate for a candidate, you tend to stick to the talking points they give you. But you, you got to tell the truth. No, I I know, I know. And I do think that, you know, but for the voter enrollment advantage, and I think that the New York Post, frankly, helped her out because I think that by sounding the alarm on the front page every day saying Zeldin was going to win, they ended up getting a bunch of people out who otherwise would have stayed home and were voting against a Trump Republican, not necessarily for Kathy Hochul. I think but for that, it could have been a, a different election day. And so I think that people need to get with it. And this isn't yeah. about surviving an election. It's about now do your job. Melissa, I, I, we got to go. We got some breaking news from the Far East with Gordon Chang. And we'll talk more later on this week. And and thank you for enlightening all New Yorkers. Thank Melissa, you so I think you should thank, thank Donald Trump for, for endorsing Joe. And, and I support uh, uh, Jay Jacobs. Right. He's a very decent person. Thank you. <laughs> Talk soon, guys. Bye. And now on the line, we have Gordon G. Chang. If you want to know what's Some going on. Some breaking news I heard from, from breaking news. If, if you want to know what's going on across the world, Gordon G. Chang is your man. Welcome back to Cats at Night. Well, thank you so much, Lydia. Uh, tell us, uh, what the heck is going on? Uh, uh, they met today with uh, uh, President Xi, and, uh, uh, and uh, they, President Xi has warned the United States. 
Yes, well, President Biden met with Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, today in the sidelines of the G20 in Bali in Indonesia. They met for a meeting which stretched about three and a half hours uh, minus a break. Um, it was about a three-hour meeting. And, um, they were trying to wear out President Biden. Um, well, they did have a half hour break in the middle, so probably the president was able to resuscitate himself. Um, but the meeting it was actually not as long as it sounds, because when you have translation, you've got to cut that in half. Um, but uh, the, uh, President Biden, at his post-summit press conference, said that the United States and China had put together working groups to talk about contentious issues. And the president said that he was sending the secretary of state, Anthony Blinken, to Beijing to work things out. Um, Big issues were Taiwan, North Korea, Ukraine. Uh, Climate change was also at the top of the agenda because of President Biden's uh, view on that. And um, not much got done except that both sides uh, told the other what they were, what their red lines were, as President Biden put it in his press conference this week. Yeah, but Gordon, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. It's wonderful that they have these conversations. But meanwhile, China's playing the long game. They have strategic initiatives to undermine us at every step of the way. And what are we doing to combat that? Yes, well, I thought that the summit should not occur. And the reason is, when we talk, um, the Chinese continue unacceptable behavior, as you point out, Judge, and we do not impose costs. We've done this before. We've established working groups with China. We've had dialogue mechanisms. And although it sounds good to the ear, um, nonetheless, it's produced some pretty disadvantageous results, sometimes near disastrous results. So I think that we need to have a new approach to China, which is not to say that a new approach will work, but we is to say that at least it has a chance of working because what we've been doing up to now for three decades has been a basically near complete failure. And Gordon Chang, one important thing, and I know all the intelligence agencies are listening to us. I understand my intelligence sources have said that the Chinese have given us two to three years to get out of Taiwan and and have a different chip business. And for for some reason, uh, it was a joint, Democrats and Republicans, almost the only thing they did jointly passed the $250 billion chip act because we're going to have to replace those chips because China is going to take over Taiwan in two to three years. What say you? Well, I think that um, that's being a little bit defeatist, that view. Um, there's a lot of reasons, uh, there's a lot of things that the United States can do to ensure that there never is an invasion. Unfortunately, the Biden administration is not doing those things, and certainly what it's doing is not doing it with the urgency that's required. There is a lack of urgency in Washington, <coughs> not just Biden. It's at the top of the Pentagon, um, the three and four stars. Um, they understand the problem, but they are not acting with the speed that's absolutely necessary. Understood. We have another minute left. Anything else you want to tell all Americans? The issue of North Korea came up, and uh, President Biden in his press conference hinted that the United States was willing to use force. Um, He didn't say it. Um, You had to really read between the lines. Um, But the situation in North Korea is probably more serious than people think. Just because the North Koreans don't do anything 
terribly provocative. We don't pay attention to them, but they're making fast progress on their missiles and their nukes. We've got to be really concerned about this, John. Gordon Chang, thank you for bringing all Americans up to date. We're going to have to take a break right now, and we'll catch up with you later in the week. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. And our other breaking news today, I understand it's Dr. Peter Michalos' birthday. Wow, our resident so medical our genius. So our resident medical genius, happy birthday, Dr. Michalos. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Breaking news, WABC. And with that breaking news, John Solomon of JustTheNews.com, intrepid investigative reporter. John Solomon, what do you have for us? Oh, we have lots of breaking news. One of them, uh, a very consistent message keeps coming out of the federal court system. Joe Biden, you are not king. You must abide by the law. You can't make law. Congress makes law. A federal appeals court Monday following after a Texas judge last week concluded that uh, President Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness plan is unconstitutional, must be blocked. And it's the second court in four days to do that. But, Very profound message to the administration. Can't he, make up law. He already got he already won the election, Joe Biden, because of the fact that he promised right. everybody uh, $10,000 each, just like in Georgia, where he promised to vote for us. And we're going to give you $2,600 next week. Mm-hmm. That's right. So yep. is this, yep. is this so a Democratic plot? Young people with student loans was the biggest block of support Joe Biden got. So it did work. There's no doubt about it. It worked. So, yeah, vote for me, and you're, you're going to have $10,000 off your your loan bill. Who wouldn't vote for that? And, I, and at least what we should have done was give them two turkeys in every, uh, <laughs> you know, in every oven. <laughs> we should have promised I mean, them 20. I mean, I'd like to make fun of what's going on, but it's a serious business. You're right. Terrible. It's terrible. Our tax dollars are being used to make political bribe payments. That's what's going on. Uh, and, and, uh, but the courts at least you know what I that. said at the meeting last week? We had a meeting last week. Uh, the GOP guys are are doing like the uh, the soldiers, uh, the old in the Revolutionary War, the, the British soldiers and properly dressed and all red, uh, yep. properly marching. And they were dealing with a bunch of of terrorists uh, running around the, the Revolutionary War, shooting them yeah. in the back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't proper to shoot them in the back, but they did what they had to do to win the war. So yeah. right now, my my comment is that the GOP is walking around with white shoes and bow ties, and and the Democratic guys are are running around as uh, with uh, combat boots uh, fighting in the streets. I gave a speech last night in Michigan, and a lot of people came up to after me. And one of these guys was a, a Vietnam War vet. He's been in the late 70s. He said, John, I'll tell you what I think about politics in Washington. He said, Sir, please tell me. He said, the Republicans play chess. And the uh, Democrats are playing battleship with nuclear armed weapons. And, uh, and I think people in the real world are beginning same to figure thing. out. Yeah. Yep. Exactly it. I mean, yep. uh, same thing I just said. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're like the British uh, walking around uh, in proper okay. uniform uh, during yep. the Civil yep. War. Go ahead and shoot us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's and what other breaking news what do else you have? Breaking news. Well, this is something you're going to get even before Destiny gets it. Uh, I just finished an interview a few minutes ago uh, with James Comer. He'll be the likely chairman of the House Oversight Committee, the most powerful investigative body in Congress. And he said that his staff has uncovered evidence that NIH officials, public health officials in the federal government, were using slush fund money, leftover taxpayer money, to buy the silence or to buy the stories of scientists to hide 
information about the origins of COVID, about some of the problems with the early COVID treatments. He says he's going to drop all that evidence in January. People are going to be floored. And he said we have a much larger system to fix in public health than just getting rid of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Much larger problem that his staff is uncovering. That's going to have a lot of news. We'll have that story in the morning, but you guys got it first. But thank you. And uh, the, 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 the big question is, does anybody go to jail? Yeah. I haven't seen anybody go to jail except a few Republicans. Yep. That's a great point. No accountability means it's the likelihood that these things will repeat themselves is very high. That's what people say all the time. We have to start punishing people. There has to be consequences for bad behavior. John Solomon and John Katzmatidis, if you remember when the COVID vaccine first came out, people were talking about inflammation of the heart, myocarditis. And if you put that on Twitter or Facebook, you got banned, you got blocked. Now we're seeing that actual publications and doctors and hospitals and even CNN reporting it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it's that's so, exactly you know, what Congressman said, too. He said, listen, the American people, the world's being lied to. Right. So we were being labeled as misinformation when we were just reporting what people were saying and people were getting blocked. And I don't know. So what else is going on? Uh, what's the latest? Uh, can you tell us about Arizona? Uh, well, it's seven days and we're still counting. We're probably going to have election month. Maybe it's election quarter. I don't know. Uh, it's just insane that uh, in the modern era, it takes us eight, nine days to settle a vote. Right now, the Senate and um, Attorney General and Secretary of State's races have been called. Democrats took two. Republicans took one. The Kerry Lake, uh, Katie Hobbs race is the real remaining large big one out there. Uh, Katie uh, is Hobbs is still a little bit ahead of Kerry Lake. Kerry Lake still thinks will be the votes to turn that her way, but God knows when that'll end. It just keeps going on and on and on. And I'll, I'll bring up one other story because it's getting a lot of attention. There have been several. Normally, this is a time of year where college students are getting happy. They're going to finish up the exams, go home for the holidays for a little bit. Serious, significant, deadly tragedies on two campuses in 24 hours. Four dead University of Idaho, Idaho students and an apparent uh, camp, campus homicide. Three University of Virginia uh, uh, players shot by one of their student colleagues. Uh, they're shot dead, two others wounded. Uh, nine lives uh, radically changed on college campuses in less than 24 hours. And there's been a real rash of violence on many college campuses over the last few weeks. That urban crime that we're seeing affected is also affecting some of these campuses. Well, we have to just pray for our children at this point. It's so sad. I can't understand. On. One more thing before we uh, uh, go to break. Uh, one more thing. Uh, how can in Arizona... Mm. With all the criminals, all the mm. uh, coming across the border, all, 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 you know, all the terrorists, all the drugs coming across the border. How can anybody in that particular state vote Democratic? Can you under, can you can you tell me that? That's a great question. And you know what? You, when you look at the data uh, across the country, Republicans got the majority of the public vote. But in the key races, all the ones that really were going to flip the Senate or have a significant impact in the country, the Democrats won. And they won on the strength of two things. Those young voters who were getting that student loan bailout that they're not going to get now. They got sold the bill of goods. And two, women, unmarried women went 70 percent to the Democratic Party in a rate that we haven't seen in so many years. So Democrats, decades. Democratic Party has outmaneuvered the yes. Republicans in bow ties and white shoes again. By That's capturing right. the and youth vote and the women vote. For the and first time, yeah. yeah, for the first time, guys, I, I've been talking to 
senior Republican Party officials and members of Congress and people close to President Trump and, and Ron DeSantis, finally in admission, well, if absentee votes are legal, maybe we should do something like run our own campaign and get them. Uh, you can't unilaterally surrender. I think that's what you find in Nevada and Arizona. The Republicans decided to get out hustled one more time on absentee votes. If they're legal, Republicans are going to have to learn how to play the game. There's a realization finally. Have they surrendered? Have the Republicans in Arizona and the Republicans in in uh, Nevada. Uh, Nevada surrendered already, or is it or, or is it final, or is no, it just? Uh, can still hold on. Uh, remember, the gov- Republican won the Nevada governor's race, but the Senate yeah. the Senate candidate Laxalt uh, did concede. Uh, Carrie Lake is not conceding, nor has anyone called that race. So that's still an open race. And how and about uh, how about the uh, uh, how about the states the, the Senate U.S. Senate in Arizona? Uh, Blake Masters has not conceded, but that's about a five-point race. I don't think any people are really uh, looking at that one to flip. But Carrie, Carrie Lake's much closer. Much, okay. much closer. Well, we'll tune in later in the week uh, for a further update. Let's see if well, we can get you. it done by Thanksgiving. <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much, John thank Solomon you. of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. And by the way, there's still more breaking news coming out. The New York Times reporting the FBI had as many as eight informants inside the Proud Boys in the months around the January 6th Capitol attack. Boy, John, this is stories keeps unfolding. The walls? I wonder which of the federal agencies, I'm not going to name any particular one, was climbing the walls. Who planted the bombs? Well, why don't we do, find a story to somebody to talk about it? Maybe we can get somebody on the inside to talk about it. We'll talk but, more about this tomorrow, of course. And what do we stand for on this show? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the, the American, American way. way. God bless America. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.